Hello, my friends. It's Ryan from the Prolific Creator Podcast. Now, many of you have asked, hey, Ryan, how do I support the show? Well, I finally listened. Starting today, you can subscribe to the Prolific Creator Plus on ACAST Plus for $3 a month. That's less than a cup of coffee. No apps to download and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Get access to the entire archive of Prolific Creator Awesomeness. Over 160 episodes going back to 2017. Yes, that's right, my friends. A plethora of information and inspiration, tips, tricks, and interviews to get your art and work into the world. Remember those ads? Say bye, bye, bye. Wait, there's more. For $5 a month, you can get access to the full prolific creator experience. This includes the full archives, early access to episodes, listener Q&A, book and movie reviews, and interviews not for the public, and perhaps any other awesomeness I might do on the microphone. Sounds awesome, right? Yeah, it does, Ryan. If you want to listen for free, you'll notice the last 50 episodes or so will always be available wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, by subscribing today, you don't have to download any new apps, and you can simply keep listening on the podcast platform you prefer. Cool. Okay. Cool. Thanks for your love and support in advance. Simply click on the link in the show notes or on my website, and it'll take you where you need to go. Now on to the show. The Prolific Writer Podcast, episode number 96. Tim Tigner stops by the show, best-selling thriller author. We're going to talk about his journey in writing, how he learned how to write, and much, much more. Let's go. Welcome to the Prolific Writer Podcast, where speed's the name of the game. Follow an indie author and publisher and his guests as they share inspiration, tips, and advice on writing fast, writing often, and writing well. So you can do the same. Here's Ryan. Well, hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Prolific Writer Podcast. This is your host, Ryan J. Pelton, the podcast dedicated to helping you write fast, often, and well in no particular order. So glad that you are here. If it's your first time, welcome, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, welcome. Glad you're here. And I'm so excited today to have another great interview with Tim Tigner, a best-selling thriller author. And he's going to talk about his journey in writing. And it's been a long journey, but he's been tenacious and he's kept with it. And uh, it really gives just some some great insight into writing thrillers, uh, you know, his process, kind of how he learned how to write uh, the particular books that he writes. And uh, you're really going to enjoy uh, this interview with uh, Tim Tigner. There's just a lot to unpack there. So if you have a, a, a pencil, a pen, a, a podcast, or a podcast, an iPad, a notebook, something to take notes with, uh, a lot to apply to your own writing, your own process, and, uh, and what you do. So really glad to have Tim on the show. And before we get to the show, not, not a whole lot as far as uh, housekeeping goes, but I want to thank everyone that took the prolific writer survey. I'm trying to get some feedback on writing and publishing. And uh, you can go back to uh, past episodes if you want to still take that survey. It's still open. Uh, but that's really helped me a lot as I 
craft a course and I've been kind of talking about this and wanted to put a course together really based on the feedback I've gotten from many of you in our writing community and uh, things that maybe you're struggling with or things you're not sure how to do or how do I you know become more prolific in my writing so I'm putting a course together called the 45 day novel and uh, I'll talk about that more later I'm also putting a little free course together as well that will be uh, really helpful as well so um, so anyway yeah thanks for the feedback because the feedback's really helping me uh, kind of craft the course and, and, and hit some of the things that, uh, that you are looking for. And of course you can't hit, hit, hit everything, uh, but there'll be more, more stuff coming down, down the pipe. So uh, thank you for that. And uh, yeah, thank you for um, all those who have sent in uh, emails for authors. They want me to talk to prolific authors uh, in a variety of genres. Keep sending those to me. Love to track those folks down and, and uh, found some, some great authors uh, just from your feedback. So shoot me an email and, uh, and maybe you're a prolific author uh, that listens to the show and you'd like to come on the show. Love to chat with you as well and hear your story. Uh, so thanks for listening in. Well, hey, without further ado, here is best-selling thriller author Tim Tigner. Welcome everyone to the Prolific Writer. I'm so privileged today to have Tim Tigner on the show. And uh, Tim, why don't you say hello and tell us one thing that nobody would know about you other than people closest to you? Uh, well, hi, I'm Tim Tigner. I write thrillers and uh, I used to be a spy, so I don't give up uh, information that easily. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Well, you know, I'd like to dig into that a little further because I've been reading your bio and it looks like you have, you've had a very interesting life and uh, served in the military and some other, uh, other things in your life. And one of those things was, uh, I guess, a Soviet counterintelligence guy. I don't even know what that is. So you got to tell me some kind of <laughs> Green Beret, some kind of spy. Are you going to have to kill me after this? I don't know what's going to happen. But tell us a little bit, a little bit of your background. Yeah, wow. Well, I've always been a... You get your 80 years on this uh, planet if you're lucky and you want to make the most out of it. And uh, part of that for me was kind of experiencing, it's always been experiencing everything I can while doing that. And uh, during the formative uh, college years, uh, I came across an opportunity to uh, experience the military in a very interesting way. Uh, so I hopped on on that. The military having been played such an important role in the history of the world, I kind of wanted to know what it was about. So anyway, I, I uh, got to join the Army uh, in the Special Forces, the Green Berets, to work in Soviet counterintelligence. So uh, my job during uh, a low-intensity unconventional warfare in a Russian-speaking zone would be to parachute in behind lines gather intel and try and get it out without getting killed. Fortunately, uh, for me, anyway, I guess for everybody, the uh, the Berlin Wall came down right as I was finishing up my training, so I never actually had to go, go do that. So I ended up moving to Moscow uh, after grad school for seven years, uh, but I was working uh, commercial stuff uh, rather than government stuff and throughout Perestroika. 
Well, I bet your, you know, your wife and kids are happy about that too. And uh, so that you're, you're still around and, and I have to admit, or I should say, I have to wonder uh, with your thrillers is a lot of what you kind of ex- have experienced in life and military has made it into your books. And so uh, the, the question is always, you know, how, how does that, how's that kind of influenced even the books that you started to write? Did it have anything to do with the military or just the stuff you read or go back to a little bit of your early kind of influences? Yes, yeah, so I should say all of my books draw heavily on my background, uh, which has been quite diverse. I was, uh, you know, so I had the military experience, I had the Soviet counterintelligence experience, I had the intel and the spy experience. But then uh, I worked in the cutting edge of the medical field for about 20 years where we were developing new drugs and new devices and so forth. And then I was running international operations for these you know, blue chip, you know, drug and medical device manufacturers flying all around the world. <clears throat> and then in my last decade of that, I was in Silicon Valley working at and eventually leading you know, these high tech startups. So that's a whole lot of fodder for a lot of books. Uh, basically the international intrigue and espionage. Um, my first adult love uh, in reading was uh, with Robert Ludlum stuff. And which is very much kind of like what my life sort of evolved into with the with the jet setting and the high tech stuff, except I wasn't using my previous <laughs> military skills while I was doing it so the way I would have been had I been the star of one of his uh, of his novels. So that was a, a big influence. And um, like many people, perhaps most people. Uh, in life, I found that uh, I wasn't getting all the fulfillment from the job that I had when I trained for, even though I was, you know, very, very successful, I wasn't fulfilled. Um, and so for years, I was asking myself what I would really want to do if I could do anything. And I kept coming back to writing thrillers. And so uh, eventually, I just took the plunge. <laughs> And, uh, and started writing full-time. I've never done anything but write full-time when I was writing. I'm kind of a little too intense to, to ease into, into things. So <laughs> also a bit of a risk taker, I guess, mm-hmm. in that regard. Well, I, yeah, I think, you know, all your experiences have probably lent itself well to, to writing. I think often we don't think, you know, we think writers, we think artists, we think, you know, uh, you know, the pure artist on the, in the cabin and, and all that. But, you know, it sounds like you've kind of taken that intensity, those experiences and kind of just gone full bore into, into writing. So, so let's talk a little bit, just kind of the timeline of that. So what, you know, when, when did you decide like, Hey, I'm going to jump in full bore, be a writer. I'm not enjoying my, my job, but I'm going to write thrillers. Why not? That's an easy, easy road. And uh, yeah, talk, talk us through kind of the, the beginning of that, uh, that first book. Yeah. So I, Decided that's what I wanted to do in the in the summer of '94, when my job was kind of in limbo. Uh, it came out of limbo and took off, and so it wasn't until uh, eight years later, uh, in 2002, that I was stressed out enough by my job that I decided it's time to change. At that point, I was early 30s. I was like, I don't want to find out I'm the next Robert Ludlum when I'm 60 or 70, you know, I want to find out now. 
so I basically set myself up with enough bank to um, finance five years of writing. I figured I could get three novels out uh, in that period. Three were as good as I could do. And I'd figure out with those if uh, I could be a writer or not. So I turned to my my then fiance and uh, said, hey, honey, you know, uh, what do you think about this plan? You know, and at the time we're living in the corporate paid penthouse, you know, uh, all the trappings that come with that. And uh, I'm talking about, you know, going cold turkey on the cash. But she didn't blink. And so that's what we ended up doing. So I wrote I wrote my first three novels, uh, 2003 to 2007, uh, all self-taught. I, uh, I'm a math guy, which is, I guess, what I should have said. If you said, tell me something, you know, mm-hmm. people don't know. People know that, but you don't expect that from a writer. I was always, you know, the math, not the English guy. But uh, I approached it all very analytically, what what is a plot composed of and how is it done, and... Ludlam has very complex global plots with lots of twists. And that's kind of always been my template is figuring out how to more or less replicate that type of plot. And uh, I, that continues to this day, but it's, it's a largely analytical thing. And then I just had to learn the, <laughs> the writing part of it. And that's, that's what took, uh, you know, those initial years. So the first book took over a little over two years to write. And uh, the next one took a year. And the one after that, uh, closer, you know, six to nine months kind of thing. Yeah. So tell us, you know, what was the the learning process? I mean, was it, you know, just reading a lot? Was it talking to people? Was it, you know, going to conferences? What, you know, how how did you kind of teach yourself how to, you know, write, write a novel? Yeah, yeah. So I I listened to many hundreds of audiobooks. And that continues to be my main reading to this day because I can multitask. I do it when I run and when I drive and when I do the do the chores. So I trained my brain to know what a good sentence sounds like. And you know, meanwhile, the analyst in me is figuring out what the plot structure needs to be like. And so it was applying that and lots of practice. And I'd pick my favorite books. I'd listen to them again and again and again in order to really, you know, to this day, uh, <clears throat> you know, at the moment I'm, I'm re-listening to Eye of the Needle by Ken Follett, um, my all-time favorite character author. And uh, I'm picking up all kinds of, you know, new things from that that I, I hadn't picked up in the dozen times I've listened to it before because it's just being at a different level. So, yeah, that's mine. It's just kind of uh, mimicry. Um, I mentioned Ludlum. He's kind of my template for plot, although, to be honest, I haven't read a Ludlum book in a long time. Of course, he died a long Mm -hmm. (laughs) time ago. And then Follett has been, for me, he's the archetype for character development. I think he's got, I think he does the best job of anybody with characters. And then I kind of look toward uh, Lee Child for prose, for you know, a way to formulate sentences. And kind of between the three of them, I, I found my own voice and, and style. And uh, it's, it's been pretty consistent, actually. Mm-hmm. So uh, people that read my first books and my current books, there's not 
I notice the difference, but the, there's not that much of a difference that readers will, will comment on. Yeah. So you're saying a lot of really interesting things. Cause I think, you know, you know, the, the advice is, you know, read a lot, you know, write a lot. And it's amazing how much we absorb, you know, story, you know, especially I, I love the audio, you know, I'm a big audiobook guy now too. I got young family and drive around and, you know, you can just crank through so many books, but yeah, really listening, you know, intently almost as a researcher, especially those that are starting out, you know, really saying, okay, yeah, what, what makes for a good sentence? What makes for a good story? What, what, why do I keep listening? Why do I keep reading? You know, what is it about this character that makes for a good character? And I think that's a, a great strategy for just research and learning the craft and just absorbing story. And, and and it's amazing when you come to the page, how much of that story is still there. I mean, how much it, it becomes intuitive almost like the ideas of even plot twists and, you know, um, you know, how, how people speak and, and all that kind of stuff. It, it's definitely more there. Cause I think when we write our first thing, we're always so insecure, like it's going to just sound horrible. And, but you know, if we've read a lot and we've, we've kind of absorbed a lot, it, you know, we can kind of put some of that insecurity. I mean, still a lot of it's still going to be terrible, but, but you know, you're, you're learning and you're, you're, you know, putting those things down that you've, you've kind of absorbed for years and years and years. Um, so, so talk us through a little bit, kind of your, now you have kind of your main series is your Kyle uh, Achilles uh, series. And, uh, you know, if somebody's to pick up a Kyle Achilles series, you know, what, what is it going to be a mashup of, you know, Ludlum and Lee Child? How, how would you describe kind of the, the, the series itself? Yeah, yeah I mean, that, that's a fair enough a, a mashup of, of Ludlum and Child. So you've got the, the international conspiracy going on in the background, <clears throat> which usually evolves around some diabolical device of my invention. So I haven't come from high tech in the medical field and all that I dream up something and since I've invented it it, and it the plot revolves around it I know I've got an original plot Uh, and then uh, I tend to tell the story I'll stick that device in the most diabolical hands that I can think of and then I'll tell the story from the bad guy's point of view, who's like most of the senior business people or politicians that I've known or met, and uh, and from the victim's point of view. And uh, working, working that into a series character. So my, my guy is a, uh, is a rock climber, um, Kyle Achilles, goes by Achilles. Uh, that's kind of his passion. Uh, he used to be a CIA guy, uh, kind of like my background. Got uh, dis- disenfranchised from the whole political aspect of working for the government and you know being manipulated and so forth, and left because of because of that. And uh, but uh, things keep coming back to draw him into to different escapades. Uh, which work out well, but it gives him a, a, a kind of a unique skill set. So he's a climber. So that factors large into stuff. So there's a bravery aspect to that that goes in and some interesting situations and so forth. So and then the skills come from the background. You know, people complain. You hear, oh, everybody's, uh, they're all like CIA or whatever, whatever. But, you know, you got to learn the skills. It's not realistic to do really cool stuff if uh if you don't have the background Mm -hmm. 
And uh, so you kind of need to have that in there somewhere, which I think is why it happens so often. Speaking of what's realistic and what's not, that's one of the things that one of my, I guess, kind of pet peeves as an author is when I hear not realistic and the people are talking about things that I've seen happen. Mm -hmm. It's just, uh, it's from ignorance. Uh, What what people can actually do is, is phenomenal. So I've gotten to the point now where I am at the beginning of all my books, I'm like, hey, if so- you don't believe something, look at the end. And at the end, I put links to people doing, you know, key, mm-hmm. key elements of, of the story, you know, video to try and cut down on, on some of that uh, disbelief. And it's, it, it's worked, actually. Yeah, I just, I just watched uh, Free Solo. I don't know if you got Yeah, that's my guy. That's yeah. who my guy is based on, Alex. Okay, Hummel. yeah. I mean, it's, it, I, I honestly, I've you know, heard of my, I had an uncle who was a kind of free solo climber and, you know, he's still alive, but he, you know, once he got married, she's like, no way, you're not doing this anymore. Uh, but, you know, just to watch that documentary and see what's possible. I mean, the way they stand on, you know, this flat rock and are able to climb, you know, El Capitan and, and do the, the whole thing. It's like, you just go, how, how did he, how is he not dead? You know? And, and yet it's, it's the, I mean, a lot of them are, but, but you know, it's, it's just seeing what, what's possible and how they do it and how they talk through the process. It's really, really enlightening. But um, so on that note, let's talk a little bit, just kind of, as you, you know, as you've read other things or even you know, maybe this is a way to give advice to, you know, uh, future thriller writers is, yeah. How do you make your stories realistic if you are dealing with, you know, these kind of complex plots and CIA and, you know, counterintelligence and, you know, countries and, and dictators or whatever the story has, how do you, how do you kind of make sure it doesn't come off, you know, cliche or cheesy? Is that, is that just from reading a lot or your experience or talk, talk through how someone could go about that? Well, so there are two, two, two sides to that. There's the facts and then there's the telling of the facts. So if we look at the facts, I do everything cutting edge. So possible, but not necessarily yet done. Uh, Like, for example, the third book in the Achilles series, Falling Stars. The core idea that I had behind that one was, uh, you know, everybody's seen drones. Uh, Is it possible to have a drone pick somebody up? And we, we know that it is. There are now drones that are actually transporting people around. But it occurred to me that uh, if a drone picks somebody up, there's nothing that anybody can do to save that person. If a drone picks you up a thousand feet in the air, you can't shoot the drone down, you can't put a pillow under the person. There's not a thing that can be done by anybody to save them, especially given that the drone operator can be the other side of the world. So that's kind of the the, the core premise, you know, and and uh, I, I, I put videos in the back of the book uh, about it. I, I still get the unrealistic stuff, but about that but anyway if you if you pay attention it's it's not being done but there's no reason that it couldn't be done so there's that probably at least just as important uh to the feeling of veracity that people get while reading the book is just how it's told and so i'll have somebody in there questioning how is this possible why is it done or i'll put the people through the emotions of, of, of doubt and so forth, so that they go on the same journey that the reader goes on. And, um, and that, that I think is, is important is addressing all that stuff up front. The trick with, with, with this, 
uh, especially when it comes to the technical side of things, uh, is that people are coming out with tremendously different uh, knowledge bases. And so the amount of information you need to convey to con- you know you, you, you got to get that ninety percent in the in the middle without boring the, the, the most known people and keeping the clueless from getting totally lost and mm-hmm. I think that's a repetition and practice is just mm-hmm. kind of what gets you to that golden uh, golden mean uh, and I think the quickest way to get there in terms of you know words. Word efficiency is through uh, analogy, mm-hmm. so I'll, I'll do a lot of that to, to to get people where it needs to be. Tether things down. Well, yeah, I, I think you're you're hitting on something that's really important. Is you know, there's a lot of readers. They don't you know they love Ludlum or they love your books or you know, but they're not necessarily experts in. <laughs> you know, uh, intelligence or they just enjoy the stories and, you know, they're probably not going to go on the internet and go, is that true? Do that really, you know, uh, there are some people like that, obviously, and we're still dealing with fiction, right? I mean, there's still some, mm-hmm. some leeway to say, you know, that's actually not fully how it works, but you know, it, it's still, uh, you know, it's fiction. I, I made it up. Um, and, and, and I think there's, there's some, some, uh, you know, freedom in that too, is, is just a, you know, like I create locations that aren't real, but they're kind of real, but they're not, yeah. you know, the name's not real or whatever, but it's, it's actually a place I'd know where I've been, um, for a variety of reasons I do that. But, um, but sometimes I use real places, you know? Um, and so, you know, it's th- those kinds of things. I think you get, get some, get some freedom, uh, to kind of play with. And, and I like what you're saying about just how much it's kind of an art of how much dump do you do? I mean, how much info dump, you know, you want to, you want to make it sound like, it's just normal. Like you don't have to describe everything a little bit like sci-fi. I and mean, if you're, if you're describing, Oh, this is what a cell phone does. And th- I mean, that's, that's not good writing. Like it's just normal. Like that's just part of the universe or whatever the technology is. Um, you know, you want to make it just kind of normal. Like, no, that's what CIA agents use. It's not, let me take, you know, three pages to describe why we use this or whatever. And there's time and times and places for that. Um, but yeah, just kind of that art and balance of how much info dump do we, do we do? Um, so let, let's, let's talk a little bit, let's keep talking a little bit about your process and a little bit of, you know, going back, you know, you're, you're reading Ludlum, you're, you know, doing math problems, you're, you're figuring out how to, you know, write a novel and what this looks like. You're, you're listening, researching, uh, you know, what did it look like when you, when you sat down to actually craft that first, uh, book? I mean, were you, did you have scenes in mind? Did you have characters? I mean, you just go for it. Talk a little bit about kind of that first, I always, I always like to ask a question, talk about that first book and then talk a little bit about how your process has kind of evolved since then. Yeah, so I, uh, as you and your listeners are, are well aware, right? There are two types of of writers: the the, the pantsers and the plotters. And I'm I'm way into the 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 plotter <laughs> side of things, so not not at the prolific end of the uh, of the spectrum, so to speak. So I will uh, start out by <clears throat> coming up with the core idea for a plot. And then I'll try and turn it into a, like a one or a two page story, kind of the thing that you would turn over as a synopsis to a publisher. And then I will break that down basically scene by scene to where I'm coming up with a paragraph or so for each of the hundred chapters or so that, that my book is going to be. And, um, that for me is required because of the specific genre that I'm targeting 
So I'm going after the the, the Ludlum uh, reader, uh, which requires a lot of twists and turns. Um, <clears throat> and because there's the tech side of things in it, uh, they've got to be, I'm already dealing with a bit of disbelief. So the twists and turns can't be, they have to be very logical. And, and that requires just a lot of forethought and planning in order to make all those dominoes fall. You know, basically the end of every chapter is, you know, a, a, a small domino falling. And in line, I work to get those all lined up before I start writing the, uh, the pages. And um, that hasn't changed much at all uh, since I started writing back in uh, 2003. What has changed is what I look at, what I'm putting in chapters, how long my chapters are, how many chapters I have, what my point of views are going to be, that uh, the, the more mechanics that you refine with time. The approach has always kind of been that analytical, give me the roadmap and then fill it out. So let's dig in a little bit of the, I like what you said, a couple of things you said there. Uh, you know, you said a hundred chapters. Now that could just be a, a yeah. little statement or just a you know metaphor. But um, so I'm assuming, you know, uh, I mean, a lot of thrillers, short chapters kind of keeps the book moving. Um, is that kind of what, what you're going for? I mean, do you have kind of a word count per chapter? Like this is a good amount of words to kind of keep the reader moving along or, or is it that vary? How does how, that kind of work in your process? Yeah. So for me, a chapter is a scene and I aim for a thousand words. So a hundred chapters, a thousand words, a hundred thousand word book. And it varies. I try to keep them the chapter at least 600 words and I try not to go over 1600. Mm -hmm. words i will i guess take back my previous scene statement a little bit i will at times split a chapter in two in order to keep mm -hmm. it shorter if if required uh, but for me and, and my my audience it's about the pace and about the twist and yeah with i would think with with every every genre and every author I think all of your author listeners know our biggest goal is finding fans. That's the tough thing to do is find somebody that likes you. Cause it's only going to be 1% of writers that like anybody, you know, I mean, with Lee child, it's probably 10 and Grisham, but for most of us, you know, 1% is it's hard to find when you find them, you want to keep them. And how do you keep them? You keep them by being consistent. You give them this, what they like. Right. And, and that's why there's no, I mean, I'm saying this the 1% of the readers. So, you know, you know, from simple math, I mean, there's a hundred different types of readers out there, right? So there's a hundred different ways to skin the cat and the cat I'm skinning is this, you know, thousand word chapters, a hundred of them each with a twist and so forth. And for me, that fits well. And I, uh, I, 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 I'm going after that kind of established market and mimicking what I see in the you know the big names in in, in my market but I, I think that's what every author you know needs to figure out is who they're going after and then just keep giving them that mm -hmm. um so i try not to vary uh and i would my advice to any author would be once you find something that works don't don't shift 
Mm-hmm. You know, if you're Michael Jordan, don't play baseball. If you're John <laughs> Kerry, don't go, don't do drama. <laughs> you're lucky enough to have found something that's sweet and just, and just stick with it, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I hear Lee Child complains about having to always do Reacher, but he's not allowed to do anything else. Yeah, you know? There's right. just no way. And thank goodness. That's kind of- yeah. No, that, I think that's really good advice there. You know, just the, uh, you know, knowing your genre, knowing reader expectation. Um, and, that, and that doesn't mean, I mean, obviously it has your own flavor and your own characters and your own style. It's not like you're going, Hey Bob, what do you, you know, what exactly do you want? But it's, it's that kind of, th- this is what my readers, you know, enjoy uh, those, those page turners. Uh, you know, it's funny years ago, I, I read a James Patterson novel and I had never read him before. And, you know, if, if anyone's read James Patterson, it's very short. Every, it seems like every book he writes is fr- pretty much the same as far as short chapters. I remember I was on a flight, like from LA to New York. And I mean, I think I read it in one sitting. I mean, it just, I, I just kept flipping the pages. I mean, I was like, I couldn't put it down. I mean, I don't even know what was going on around me. I mean, we could have been on fire and it, I would have known, but I, but I love that experience. And I remember when I wrote my first thriller, that's, it's kind of a crime thriller. It was like, I had that in my mind. It was like, there's something about that. Just having that little hook at the end quick pages like I want to keep reading and he talks about that you know just taking out the fluff and taking out the stuff that nobody wants to read about and uh you know kind of keeping the stories very you know centered and 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 moving along and I think today too especially in our you know day of of you know reading books on phones and audiobook and it's like people aren't going to read you know 2,000 word you know uh, or 2000 page tomes, you know, they're going to want to read something fast on the plane or on the bus or on the, you know, in between, you know, meetings or whatever, um, and give them some good entertainment. Uh, so I love that. So, um, so let, let's talk a little more of your process. So, you know, that first book you're, you're, you're outlining your book, you're kind of going, okay, this is what I think the story is. And then what did it look like after you were done? I mean, what, what was kind of the process of, of editing and kind of sharing that with other people? I mean, where did you go? Who did you talk to? What, what did that look like? You want to hear about my first book? You want to hear about the way I do it now? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, how about both? Uh, so my my first book uh, was uh, 160,000 words, and I I uh, went after traditional publishing. This was back 2004. Then it would have been at the time, and I got a good agent. Uh, on the condition that I cut it down to a hundred thousand words, <laughs> and so I did that. And um, uh, and to do that, I had to cut out a couple of characters and some storylines to make it cohesive. And um, so she took it and she sent it out. And bless her heart, she got it read by Dan Brown's editor, by Brad Thor's editor. She got it in front of the big folks, uh, but uh, not, none of them bit, you know, it wasn't the one book that they picked for that year kind of thing. <clears throat> and uh, for me, that ended up happening three times. So I wrote those three books that I, you know, set the money aside to be able to do. And uh, my second book, she just didn't like at all. Although part of that was it was a little too prescient. So what the plot actually ended up happening to a large extent. And so by the time it got published, it would look like a copycat rather than something Mm. original. Mm. And then the third one she wasn't into either. So I, I ended up going back to work uh, for like seven years, Uh, cool years, but my book sat on my computer for that time. And then in 2013, I finally got around to just self publishing them 
I was still working, but had enough of a lull. I'd been doing startups, which is like, you know, 80 hour weeks. And mm-hmm. so there had been no time in the meantime. Anyway, and I, I, I put those out there. Um, and they, they did all right. And about a year to the day after I self-published the three all at the same time, uh, I got a call from Thomas and Mercer, the Amazon publishing, and they wanted to republish that very first book that I'd written. And uh, we ended up editing that down from then the 100,000 words to the 80,000 words before they put that out. Uh, but for me, that call was the second turning point. Uh, it was validation that I had been looking for, and times had changed a lot. And so I turned to my wife, she was then, whereas before she'd been my fiance, and said, honey, I want to do it again. <laughs> and that time it was take out the, uh, the second mortgage kind of thing and, and, and go for it. And that's when I started my, my Kyle Achilles series. Um, but anyway, getting back to, you know, the writing and the process and, and what I learned uh, with that second book then, it was the first time I worked with a professional editor, the one that the publisher sent me. They, we did the developmental editor first and then, then the proofing and stuff. Uh, and it was even more cutting stuff out and cutting things back. So it was like 80,000 words by the time we finished. So half the size of my original book, uh, which was a lesson to me. The biggest mistake that I made in that book, uh, which I've clung to ever since is it had too many characters hmm. uh which confused the reader it was largely said in russia too so the names were also not 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 simple uh I, and i put the glossary at the front of the names and so forth and people like it but i i, I think making the uh reading experience as simple as possible is kind of one of the key ingredients uh, to uh, successfully engaging readers, you just want to make it simple for them to sit down and read, and and that means not getting lost, not getting confused, and and that's kind of a, a cardinal rule, and something that I keep in mind in in all of my writing now. So my writing now, I uh, I, I I pick a core idea. So throughout the year, I, I, I'm not a prolific writer. Uh, I, I write a book a year, maybe two if I'm really like sweating, you know, 80-hour weeks at it. And, um, but during that year, I'll get ideas and I'll write them down. I come up with a list and I've got many dozens of book ideas out there. And I'll find the one that resonates. This is usually some core plot or device. And then I'll do, as I talked about before, build out a plot around that. And I'll go from, you know, a one paragraph to two pages, and then I'll create a full outline, and then I'll break the outline into uh, that that two pager and uh, you know the hundred scenes, and then I'll just start filling out the scenes, and I'll write the whole book, and I'll send it out to beta readers. Uh, I use dozens of them, mm-hmm. and uh, these just volunteers from fans. And uh, I'll get their feed, the feedback and I'll incorporate it and then I'll send it out to an, a different couple dozen more of the proof, proofreader types for the, for the second round. 
And that's my process. Before I've done any of that, getting back to our earlier discussion, I will um, have the book read to me by software. So that's how I do my editing. Uh, I do lots of editing. Um, chapter by chapter, I'll just go through and I'll, I'll have the computer, these uh, natural reader, I'll have it read read to me. And that's how I'll kind of edit and catch the things that I don't catch otherwise. Hmm. Um, so that's more or less my process. Uh, I've started at the end, even after dozens of beta readers and proofreaders, it using a professional editor at the very end as well. Um, uh, just because, boy, there's just so much that gets caught. I mean, I'm just so prone to making errors because <laughs> I've learned everything and do everything with my ears, and so that doesn't work well with punctuation and homonyms and so mm -hmm. forth. So yep. there's a lot to catch. Yeah, no, that, that's really insightful, the, the reading out loud or the you know, audio. Um, you know, when I was having one of my audio books produced, uh, it was amazing how many things I caught. I was like, Oh no, there, there's you know, all, the, all these things that just went past the editor and you know, it's cause you heard it. Not, you know, you just, right. You and know, the audio book yeah. is what locks it in. Unfortunately, right. Yes, the great, exactly. greatest thing about a self publisher is that we can go back and fix the typos, but not yep. the audio books. Nope. Uh, nope. So you got to get it right before them. Yeah. So. And it, you know, you pick up those, those kind of funky sentences too, that just don't, you know, mm -hmm. aren't clear or, you know, just like, I don't understand what he's saying or why did he just say it that way? Or, you know, it's, it just it sounds weird to the ear, you know, and it's like, well, if, if it sounds weird to my ear, it's probably gonna be weird to the reader. So, you know, you can kind of tweak those, which is really helpful. Um, no, I like that. So, so tell me a little bit, you know, when, when you have this many beta readers and first readers, you know, do you get conflicting opinions? I mean, how do you kind of weed through what they're seeing, what they're saying? I mean, are they pretty, pretty right on um or do you just kind of you know take a few here take a few there i mean how, how do you kind of weed through all the the differing you know insights into the book yeah so um the the amount of feedback i get varies radically i have one lawyer i mean he sent me like 60 single speed spaces on one book you know and, <laughs> and other people will send me six lines right. there's a there's a huge variety and as with everything you kind of consider the source Mm -hmm. A lot of people are more expert than I on certain things. And so I'll weigh their opinions, you know, more on stuff when it comes to grammar and all that. Uh, you know, I get confused about stuff because it's not logical to me, but that's partly because English isn't logical mm -hmm. <laughs> either. So there I kind of, you kind of have to pick which way you're going to do things and, and go with that. Um, but then there's just repetition. If a bunch of people bring stuff up versus just one, so you're always going to lose somebody. And mm -hmm. I think that's the, an important lesson, not just with beta feedback, but with listener feedback is if you think about your own experience with any story, the amount of enjoyment that you have with that story depends a lot on your circumstances, right? You know, were you with the bros chugging beer while you watched the movie or were you by yourself because your girlfriend just left you when you watched the movie? <laughs> right. It's a huge impact. And so you kind of have to know when to discard opinions but uh in, in my case most of my batteries have been with me for uh, quite a while and i only go back to the ones that provide the right type of feedback and i, I they've all been picked from people to be in my beta readers you, you have to really like my books mm -hmm. so i know that the choir is what's given me 
feedback, not people that, you know, they don't like me because they just don't, they're not into my style, you know? That's my pet peeve as a author is people who confuse bad with not my style. Right. right. You know, I'm, I'm not going to like a, I, I don't know, a lesbian vampire romance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's got nothing to do with the quality of the book. That's just not my thing. I'm not going to give it one star, you know, because what do I know? But the same yeah. thing with the creator feedback. Yeah. It can be so, so subjective. I mean, it's, you know, my wife and I, I'm in the books we like and, you know, shows and films we enjoy, they can be so different, but it's not because they're bad films or bad books. It's just not what I like or not what I'm, I like what you said, not, maybe it's not what you're in the mood for or that time of season of life or, you know, um, whatever it may be. Uh, so, so tell us a little bit, just as you were, you know, you, you, you did the traditional route, didn't go that well. You ended up self-publishing years later, you know, what did kind of marketing, you know, you could say in the present, what, what has marketing uh, been like for you uh, in the present? What's been really helpful for you? I know it can vary from author to author, but um, what are some things maybe you could share with us that that's helping you kind of get the word out about your books? Yeah. So with marketing, it's the beginning. It's the tough part. How do you get the snowball, right? I mean, it is a snowball and one snowflake has to turn into two and then three with a turn, right? Whereas at this point, I've already got a big ball, so a single turn gets me a whole bunch of snowflakes smashed apart. Oh, you can't use snowflake now either, right? That's become a pejorative. <laughs> but um, So if, you know, the helpful stuff is going to be what did I do back at the beginning versus now, which is nothing that's not standard. So uh, I used Goodreads back at the beginning. I disciplined myself to write <clears throat> 20 letters a night to a Goodreads people person individually that liked a book that was similar to mine and I'd offer them a free book and I'd say hey you like this and this author's on my Amazon customers also bought list you know so it was yeah it was short and sweet and here's a freebie and I do 20 of them a night I did that for first couple of years Mm -hmm. so it's just a lot of slogging through it Um, what I don't do and i encourage people not to do is is buy into or follow any of this there's so much snake oil being sold in our business Mm -hmm. and uh uh, i think the free advice is 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 the one you should be paying attention to i think the paid advice needs to be taken uh looked at as suspect uh but uh I guess that's just my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, I think there's, it, things change so much too. It's, you know, one day it's this and next, you know, this is working and then, you know, you make the thing and then it's like, Oh, that doesn't work anymore. Or it worked for one person or they're, you know, great for their experience, but not, not for everybody. Cause <laughs> one thing I've learned, I've, you know, I think I'm, I don't know, almost a hundred interviews in uh, so far with authors and, uh, I mean, I'm I'm just blown away that the moment someone says, "Oh, you got to do this," someone comes along and goes, "Oh, I don't do any of that," and I sell you know a hundred thousand dollars worth of books a month, you know, kind of thing, you know, like a newsletter, for example. I know I interviewed a, a woman who's like, "I don't even have a newsletter." She makes you know seven figures, and, and so it's it's like it's the moment you go, "It's got to be this," you know. There, I mean, there's some common wisdom, but I think it, it doesn't matter. I mean, some do it all on social, some do it paid ads, some do it, don't do anything. Um, and so it's amazing how, how that, that shifts, but um, I think it is very genre specific also. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's the, very true. Uh, yeah, my my reader is is very different from a romance yep. reader, and in general, you know, female readers are very different from from male readers when it comes to how you interact with them. Mm-hmm. I think social media and Facebook are can be very effective, you know, if, if you're selling romances or there are so forth, but I think they're worthless for, for thrillers. Yep. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a good, really good point too. And, and you know, how long the books, I mean, this woman, I, I mentioned, she's, you know, writing kind of cozy mysteries, you know, and it's people that read cozy mysteries are reading, you know, five a week. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. You know, it's, so it's, it's, it's a very different animal, you know, and a lot shorter and uh, yeah, you can kind of crank them out a little quicker, but um, but yeah, that's really helpful, Tim. Just, just kind of those listening, you know, if you're thinking about marketing, it's like, yeah, knowing your genre, knowing the reader, knowing, you know, just cause you took some Facebook ad course, you know, it might not work for your thriller genre or whatever genre you're in. Um, yeah. What, what, what has been, um, you know, just for you personally, like, you know, as a thriller author, um, it sounds like you have a pretty solid group of uh, fans, you know, is that, are you using a newsletter? Are you, you know, connect, how do you connecting to them kind of personally and, and um, letting them know about your work? Yeah. So that's kind of the only the, the, the tie on the only other marketing thing that I, I, I do is I uh, will engage with readers on email. So if they bother to write me, I take the time to write them back. So I, I started with that and, through Goodreads, and I've continued with that to kind of develop the personal interaction rather than the mass market. So I don't do anything on on social media. Um, I came at that approach analytically. I looked at the thriller writers who had the biggest, uh, who were very active doing that stuff, and I saw that they had no sales. <laughs> mm-hmm. Whenever I get advice from somebody, the first thing I do is I go take a look and see how many books are they selling. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's kind of the razor that, that I apply. And if they're selling more than I am, I'm like, ooh, <laughs> maybe I need to be paying attention. If they're not, then I, I take it with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. But part of it's just what you enjoy, uh, what you enjoy doing, and are you getting the feedback? But I think people overestimate radically the impact of a lot of activities. Um, uh, and I think psychologically that's due to just, you feel you're missing out on something and you don't want to do that. And I think that's a big driving force is that fear of missing out. Mm-hmm. So mailing lists, I don't think are that big a deal. I do keep one. I have religiously, it's fairly large. Um, but if you look at open rates and link click rates on mailing lists, they are not big. Um, although all of this depends on scale, right? When, 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 when you have author on here, uh, on your podcast or wherever that's talking, <clears throat> if they're making a thousand dollars a month, or, you know, as some I'm sure are, and others that are making $100,000 a month. The $1,000 guy says, man, you know, I, you, you don't talk about sales too much on here. And probably, but some guy comes on and says, I doubled my sales using this, you know, and everybody's busy writing stuff down. 
And then you realize, right, that that was five extra books or whatever, you know, it, it's a, it's a very different a- animal. Um, so I, I would pay a lot of attention. So a mailing list, yeah, it could be, you know, great if it's taking you from a hundred books a month to 200 books a month. Mm-hmm. But if you're, if you're selling 10,000 books a month, taking it up to 10,500, that extra 5% might not be worth all the effort that goes into, you know, the everyday type of thing. Mm-hmm. So that's what I have people look at. Mm-hmm. I think for a lot of it, it's multitasking anyway, right? People get their social release and all that through doing that. So it's really, it's serving two purposes. Uh, so anyway. Uh, how is your, um, uh, what, or I should say, what, what has it been like as far as, uh, have you thought about, you know, Amazon versus wide versus, you know, getting your books out in different platforms. Uh, what's been kind of helpful for you? How, how have you kind of thought through that? That's always the big, huge debate, you know? Yeah, it is. So um, uh, for self-publish, I think Amazon is the way to go. I don't think there's a debate to be had by people mm-hmm. that have data. Uh, um I think that going wide is <clears throat> adding traditional to self-publishing. So what you don't have going wide in self-publishing is uh, is bookstores, uh, uh, unless you put in a lot of work. You know, it's just possible to be in bookstores, but and uh, and hardbacks and so forth. And so that's where traditional publishing can bring you into a whole new market that you don't get as a self-publisher. So I've been uh, uh, working with an agent uh, to make the break into uh, traditional publishing as well. Um, And I've been finding that surprisingly difficult, even with a, a, a very strong sales record and, you know, arguably the best agent in the business, it's still a a tough, tough sell because statistically you're trying to be that one out of, you know, whatever, a thousand, 10,000 that they, that they end up picking up. And, you know, you have to really resonate with, with that person. So uh, that's the wide that I would look to go at if I were, an indie author rather than dealing with the other platforms whose days I, I would say are, are, are numbered. <laughs> yeah. But that's just one guy's uh, opinion. That's good. Well, Hey, uh, Tim, this has been really great and you've really offered us a, a ton and ton of advice. And I always like to ask this question of our authors is, uh, you know, if you, if you were talking to someone that's maybe just starting out or just has one book out there and kind of getting things rolling, you know, what would be just some advice you'd want to share from, from things you've learned along the way? Yes. I guess the biggest thing I would do if I were new is take the time to learn Scrivener. Uh, <laughs> that's good. It, it, it is a phenomenal productivity improver. It takes a bit of work, but it's so very well worth it. So I would hop all over that. <laughs> No, I, I, it's funny. I, you know, I talked to so many people and how many people have never heard of Scrivener or don't use it. And it's like, why are you using word? Word is awful. You know, it's like, it's just made for writers, you know? Um, yeah, I'll put that in the show notes. Definitely. Um, remind people again, I, I use it every day. And, uh, 
yeah. Anything else you'd, you'd want to say just for those kind of starting out, um, you know, other yeah. than software? Yeah, I would say this. So figure out where you want to be. So who is your idol in the publishing business? You know, if it's Stephen King, then, you know, you go ahead and sit down right from your pants, the 2000, I mean, the 200,000 word tome. You, I would say mimic your idol as you figure out who you want to become and do what they do. And I think that applies to, to marketing as, as well. So I would not follow the advice of people that are trying to sell it. I would follow the example of the people that you want to become. That's good. I love that. Well, Tim, tell us what you, um, I think I noticed you had a, you maybe a new book in a new series uh, that just came out and, uh, yeah. and all, yeah, what do you got going on and where can we find you? Yeah. So, uh, I'm, uh, I've got a, a standalone coming out in, uh, in May. Uh, it was just a different type of book that didn't fit my series. Uh, and then I've, uh, this November I'll have the, uh, the fifth book in my, in my series coming out. Uh, I'm easy to find and that I have a fairly unique name. So you just Google Tigner, just like tiger with an N and I'll pop up. But, uh, I live at Amazon, so to speak online. So look for me there. Well, great. Well, Tim, this has been a real privilege and uh, thanks for coming on sharing your, your story, your experiences, your advice. It's all really been helpful. And, uh, so all the best, man. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you, Ryan. Well, there you have it. Prolific writer nation, Tim Tigner. Tim is working it, doing the work, writing the thrillers and, uh, gave us a ton of advice. I I loved one of the things I loved about that interview was when he talked about how he kind of learned how to write, uh, listening to audiobooks, reading a lot of Robert Ludlum, but really looking at books and researching them unpacking them, trying to figure out, you know, what, what works, why do characters work? Why do sentences work? Why do you stories work? And that's just a great way for you. If you're starting out writing or you're in the thick of it, just how to become a better storyteller and write better books and make a bigger impact is, is just to study other right, good writing and, uh, to kind of unpack it and listen to it and read it and, uh, and just say, you know, what, what, what's works here? How, 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 how is this going? And also how can we get better in our own, in our own craft? So, uh, go check out Tim Tigner and all his books. I put that in the show notes and uh, Hey, just a couple things before you go. Hey, could you share this show with, with people that you might think would find this show helpful? Other writers, other authors, um, other readers, uh, tell your friends. And also one way to kind of stay up on uh, what's going on in latest episodes and articles and things is to uh, subscribe to this podcast, wherever you listen to that. And then you can also subscribe to the VIP list uh, at the prolificwriter.net. I'll put that in the show notes as well. And, uh, and, and also, if you could leave a, a rating or review, if you've enjoyed this show, it really helps us get the word out. And uh, I'll put that in the show notes as well. It really helps us out and, uh, and sharing the love. And uh, so, hey, thanks for stopping by again to the Prolific Writer Podcast. This is your host, Ryan J. Pelton. And before I go, I just have one more thing uh, I have to say, and that is go get more words on the page. And I'll talk to you real, real soon.